Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. It's our custom to stand at home for the reading of the word, so would you stand with me? Thank you. Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. If you don't know where Zechariah is, go to the middle and turn left. If you have your smartphone, you can find it easily. It's going to be on the screen, I think, behind me. Zechariah chapter 2. I'm reading from the New King James Version, beginning in verse number 1. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what's in its width and what's its length. And there was an angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was talking with me coming in to meet him. And he said to him, Run, speak to this young man, and say, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as a city without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven. Up, Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon, for thus says the Lord of hosts. He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who has touched you has touched the apple of my eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them and they shall become a spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. My assignment today is I want to take the next few minutes. When I was preparing to come to Ruach, the Lord spoke to me about the Sunday morning service before he spoke to me about this before he spoke to me about the conference and he said there's a prophetic word over redemption to the nations and he said I want you to go to that house and declare put up your measuring rod put away your measuring rod Holy Spirit I pray in the next few minutes that you'll saturate this room with your presence Holy Spirit you're the author of the book and I ask you to teach us what it means but I pray you'll use my voice to articulate the heart of the Father, that that purpose will be accomplished in this place, in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. amen. High five three people and tell them, put up your measuring rod. Now, due to, due to uh, scheduling, I was unable to be here on Friday night. And I understand that the angel of this house began to unpack something about measurement. I didn't know that till about 10 minutes before church started. So I think the Holy Ghost is up to something in this room. He's up to something in this room corporately, and he's up to something in this room personally. There is no personal destiny outside of corporate destiny. I'm going to try that one more time. There's no, corporate de there's no personal destiny outside of corporate destiny. In other words, God's not busy building your ministry. He's busy building his kingdom. 
And wherever your ministry fits within the context of what he's trying to establish in the earth, he'll cause you to be blessed. There is a cry that has come up from people in the earth for revival, and rightfully so. But how many of you recognize that revival is an Old Testament term? It's never found in the New Testament. Basically because revival has nothing to do so much with the harvest of the earth as it has to do with the people of God. You can never revive something that's never been vived. Revival is for people who lost their fire. But once God sets you on fire, what God has to begin to do is he has to begin to reshape or reform you. My mentor in early days of my ministry, his name is Jack Hayford, he said this. He said, your willingness to be shaped is the catalyst for every reformation God brings you to. And until you're willing to be reshaped, you can never be reformed. Because God's trying to reform us so that we can become reflections of who he really is and what he's really trying to accomplish. Jesus arrived on the scene announcing not get saved. His first word was repent. Repent. Somebody shout repent. How many of you understand that repentance is not an emotion? There may be emotion in it, but it is a decision. There's a lot of people that cried that never repented. The Bible even says that there are people that sought God's forgiveness with sorrow, but didn't find it because they never repented. So Jesus announced the kingdom is here, so therefore repent. Everybody shout repent. Repent literally means to change the way you think, to change your mind. It literally is the return to seeing things God's way. How many of you know repent means we re meaning to do again, pent meaning upward. How many of you know it's the call to the upward viewpoint? The penthouse is never on the ground level. Come on, somebody. So when, when you repent, you literally return to the upward viewpoint. You return to God's viewpoint. You come back to what God says you are. You come back to what God made you to be. You come back to what heaven has ordained for you to accomplish. So in repenting, you return to the upward call. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I press. Yes, sir. Somebody help me. I press towards the what? Mark of the... High call. I, in one translation says, I press towards the upward call that's in Christ Jesus. Listen, Paul was not pressing to go to heaven. You don't have to press to go to heaven. All you got to do is die. That's not a press. Some people weren't pressing the day they went. Some people were pressing to stay. What is the press about? He said, I keep pressing for this upward call that's in Christ Jesus. In other words, the struggle of my life is to constantly see my life from God's perspective and not mine. So I have to fight through a bunch of garbage to get to the point I can once again see myself from heavenly places and not from earthly circumstances. That's why when the apostles came along and began to preach in Acts chapter three after the day of Pentecost, here's what they said, repent and return. 
in order that seasons of refreshing may come to you from the presence of the Lord. And the heavens must retain Jesus until the time of the restoration of all things spoken of by the prophets. He said, repent and return. In other words, return to seeing what I want to do in the earth from my view, not yours. I'm looking for some heavenly people in Chattanooga this morning that are ready to live life not from your address, but to live it from heaven's viewpoint. Because how many of you know at your address there might be trouble and chaos and all kind of confusion going on, but in heaven there is a victory, in heaven there's a triumph, in heaven there is a supply, in heaven everything is already settled. Somebody ought to help me in the room. God's not busy trying to get you to victory. He's already got you there. So what happens when we return to the heavenly viewpoint is we keep, we, we stop trying to fight for something we already have. Your life changes when you quit fighting for victory and you start fighting from victory. And we'll try that over here. Because the enemy would love to keep you tied up in battles that make no sense. Am I doing okay? Do do you realize that that when David was about to kill Goliath, we don't read this part in the Bible. We just talk about him killing killing Goliath and thinking he did it by the anointing. He did do it by the power of God, but listen to me. When they came and David said, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? They said, well, he's the enemies of God. David said, well... Why are y'all standing here? And they said, he's a warrior. He's been a warrior since his youth. He's, he's a professional trained killer. And David's next question was this. What will be done for the man who kills this giant? Because I'm not fighting any battles that don't have any spoils. See, God's got way too many people on the earth that are tied up fighting little skirmishes that God's not involved in at all. It's just things they think they have to fight with. There is no battles that you should be involved in that don't have any spoils because the spoils of victory is what's been assigned to the people. Am I helping anybody in the room? And when they finally looked at him and said, whoever kills this giant will be given the king's daughter will be a part of the royal family, will never have to pay taxes another day in their life. David said, that, that sucker, I'll take him out in a minute. Just stand up and let me get to him. Because if I don't have to pay taxes and I get to be a part of the royal family after having been a shepherd boy, those are the spoils that God has intended for me because I've been anointed to live like a king and never be tied down to anybody else's obligations. Somebody in the room ought to help me today. So what happens is we come along and recognize that God keeps trying to call us back to a change of mind that changes our life. But listen to me closely. It takes the spirit of revelation and wisdom to break restrictive thinking off of people's minds. Can I go a little further? 
In the book of Zechariah, Zechariah and Haggai are contemporaries. They were also contemporaries with Ezra and Nehemiah because they're dealing with the people who returned to reestablish Jerusalem. They were part of the remnant that returned. Of all the Jews in Ezra and Nehemiah's day, only about 50,000 went back from Babylon back to Israel. God doesn't need everybody. He just needs somebody. They went back to rebuild, and watch this. I don't have time to unpack all this, but the first thing he told them to build was the house of God. Before he told them to build their business, he said, I want you to make sure you restore my temple. Before you build your house, make sure you build my house. Why? Because everything flows from his house. If you get his house right, every other thing falls in place. And so they recognized in Jerusalem, if they got the temple rebuilt, then everything else would take its rightful place and they would live as the people of God. The only problem is they laid a foundation for the temple. You can read this in Ezra. They laid a foundation for the temple to be built. And then they began to encounter all kinds of trouble. In fact, the Bible says it this way, that the enemies of the people of God hired counselors to frustrate their purpose. Have you ever felt like the devil hired somebody to frustrate you? Don't look at your wife or your husband. Just look at me. Just keep looking this way. He said he hired counselors who frustrated the purpose of God. But watch this. In order to break them out of the chaos and the cycle they were in, God had to send prophetic voices. So he sent Haggai and Zechariah. The Bible says to stir up the hearts of the people. In other words, to get them back in faith. How many of you know, am I doing okay? How many of you know that we live in times and seasons? They're set by the Father. There's certain times that come into your life, certain seasons that come, and they're ordained by the Father. But here, watch this. Listen to me. When times change, seasons change. Let me try that one more time. When times change, seasons change. How many of you know in January, you don't have to get in faith for leaves to fall off trees? And in July, you don't have to get in faith for it to warm up. Because when the time changes, the season changes. There's some of you in this room, your times are, are in the midst of changing. And you can't carry baggage from a previous season into a new time. There may have been things that worked in that, in that time that won't work in this season because it's a new time. Because God operates in times and seasons. But watch this. Watch this. We tend to get caught in cycles. Now here's the, here's the difference. Seasons change when times change. Cycles never change till we change. In other words, God will let you keep going around and around and around and around. I came to tell somebody, if you keep seeing the same thing, you are not making progress. You are in a cycle stuck in a position that God is trying to break you out of. 
I had a man come to me not long ago. He was a pastor, and I said to him, I said, you're going to have to learn that there, it's a different time. It's a different season. The, the things you've been doing are not going to work in this season. Time has changed. And he said, I have you know, Bishop, I have 20 years of experience. I said, really? He said, yeah, I got, I got, I've been doing this 20 years. I said, let me, let me just say something to you and keep loving me. I said, the reality is you don't have 20 years of experience. You have one year of experience 20 times because you keep living in the same time all of your life. And God's been trying to break you out of a cycle because that cycle keeps you incapacitated and tied up. I came today to talk to somebody. God has changed your time and the season of your life is about to shift in a whole new direction is there anybody in here ready to break out of a cycle and move into a brand new season I dare you to take 10 seconds and thank him for the breakout of a cycle but in order to understand the book of Zechariah, you have to understand that the Old Testament and the New Testament are not two different gods. The Old Testament is in narrative form and pictures. It's story form and pictures, types and shadows. The New Testament is principles. So all the principles of the New Testament are in the Old Testament concealed. And the pictures and the shadows and the types of the Old Testament are in the New Testament revealed. See, there's an element of people go along and say, I don't, I don't think you should preach out the Old Testament anymore because we're under, the, we're under the New Covenant. And I want to look at him and say, how can you be walking around and be so stupid? Because I want to ask you a question. Where do you think Paul preached the new covenant from? He didn't have a new testament to preach it from. He had to preach it from the Old Testament. Because it's all there. But you have to interpret the pictures and the narrative to understand the principle. So in the Old Testament, am I doing all right? Can I keep going? In the Old Testament, there are two primary deliverances that take place. There was captivity that came to the people of God that they had to be brought out of. The first one is the captivity of Egypt. Egypt. Egypt is a type of captivity or bondage to sin. Sin. In Egypt, they were slaves. In Egypt, they had a cruel taskmaster. In Egypt, they had no choices. They made bricks without straw. They were dominated, manipulated, abused. And when you're in captivity to sin, you can't deliver yourself. So God has to send a deliverer. I'm just interpreting the Bible real quickly. Stay with me. He has to send a deliverer. 
But the deliverer has to be one from among you so he can be like you, but not like you, so he can get you out of what has got you stuck. So God takes a baby named Moses at a time when a decree had been passed that all male children under two were to be killed, floats him down a river, and lets him be picked up by the Pharaoh's daughter. Listen to me closely. Moses had to have been adopted or he could have never been a deliverer. Because he'd have grown up his whole life in slave quarters with slave attitudes and slave mindsets. God had to take a deliverer out of that context, put him in the home of a ruler so he would know how to exercise authority and have dominion so that when he said, let my people go, he understood what it was like to operate in authority and in power. Don't think it's strange when God picks you up out of environments you're comfortable in, puts you in places you're uncomfortable in, in order to teach you what he wants you to do in the place you were called from. Oh, I wish somebody would help me. The Bible says to the Apostle Paul, he said to the Apostle Paul, I had to deliver you from the Jews so I could send you to the Jews. Because as long as you were in it, you'd think like them, you'd act like them, you'd believe like them, you'd trust like them. So I had to get you out of that so I could send you back there as a deliverer. And Moses led them out because you can never deliver yourself from sin. You have to have a deliverer. So how did he lead them out? The Bible says he led them through a Red Sea <laughs> up into a place of promise. How did God get you out of sin? Because all of us in this room were slaves to sin. Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, living according to the prince of the world in which we lived under his control, manipulated and dominated. But God sent a baby into the earth who came to be an adopted son of man in order to deliver us from the things that had captured us. And he led us out of captivity through a red sea of his own blood on the cross crucified. Jesus died and his his blood flowed that the captivity that held me could be broken off of my life and I could come up into a land of promise. Is anybody glad for the blood? That's the first captivity in the Bible. But the second captivity was the captivity of Babylon. Babylon. The word Babylon has its roots in the Tower of Babel. Babel means the place of confusion. It's not understandable. It's babbling. When God got ready to stop the Tower of Babel, what did he do? He confused their language so they could see each other talk to each other they just couldn't understand each other Amen. 
So the captivity that when Israel went into, Jeremiah and Isaiah had prophesied that the day would come, they'd go into captivity in Babylon because of their rebellion. When he took them into the captivity of Babylon, please don't miss this. In Babylon, they were not slaved, enslaved. In Babylon, they were incapacitated. Read Jeremiah 29. We know Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. But read back five, six verses earlier. While they were in Babylon, he said, build your businesses, build your houses, raise your kids, enter, get them married, raise families, build legacy. But here's the problem. I want you to raise your business, build your home, raise your family. But in Babylon, here's what happened. They tried to change their identity. But I want you to answer to a name other than the one God gave you. See, we talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's not their Hebrew names. That's their Babylonian names. We talk about Daniel, but Daniel, that is his Hebrew name, but that's not his Babylonian name. His Babylonian name was Belshazzar. But Daniel never would answer to a name God didn't call him. So he's walking down the street and they're going, Belshazzar, 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 Daniel. Oh, you talking to me? See, you walk through life and the devil hires broke, defeated, depressed. And you keep answering here, here, here. No, you don't need to answer to names he wants to put on you. You need to answer to names that God calls you. God calls you triumphant, victorious, overcomer, prospered, well taken care of, peaceful. Somebody ought to help me in the room. You need to quit answering to an identity that a confused world wants to put on your life and make you to live out. I came to announce to somebody, you are not the title that other people have put on you and you are not the tag that the world has put on you. You are blood bought and you are blood washed. You are not just divorced. You are free. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're accepted. You are chosen. Oh, I dare you to thank him that you are chosen. In Babylon, they tried to change their diet. And Daniel said to them, no, it's okay. I won't eat the king's meat. And I won't eat the king's desserts. You're not going to feed me on your confusion. God bless the world. But listen to me. When the world takes more information from Tupac and Oprah and Dr. Phil than they do from Jesus. We've started eating the wrong diet and we wonder why we're confused in what we're doing. Am I helping anybody? I'm, I'm headed to where I'm supposed to be. So God, when he gets ready to bring them out of Babylon, listen, when you come out of sin, you have to have a deliverer. They have to free you. But to get out of Babylon, you have to participate in your freedom. Wow. 
Because once you are forgiven, Romans 12 says, verse number one, I therefore beseech you by the mercies of God. In other words, your life has just been touched by mercy. I beseech you by the mercy that's touched you and changed you, that you now present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord, and that you be not conformed to the world, but you be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. God's not going to come and renew your mind. You have to. You can't get in somebody's prayer line. They lay hands on you and say, Lord, give them a renewed mind. There is a difference. Am I doing okay? There's a difference between being blind and not perceiving. How many of you know that you see, you see with your eyes or you see through your eyes, but your eyes don't tell you what you're seeing? I'm going to try, I'm going to wait a minute, huh? Your eyes don't tell you what you're seeing. You see, your eyes were created to catch light rays. And the light rays go through your retina. They're converted. They go back to an optic nerve at the back of your eyes. And then from that optic nerve, it transfers into your brain stem. And your brain stem tells your feet step up. There's a step there. But how many of you know if we could have hid you in a closet your whole life and told you this is yellow? This is yellow. If I could have kept you from the world somewhere and just taught you your whole life, this is yellow. Your eyes can't tell you it's black. Are you with me? So we'd have come out here and had church this morning, and I'd have said, uh, Ashton could have said, how do you like uh, uh, Bishop's yellow coat? And Kevin would have said, that ain't yellow, that's black. And he said, no, it's not black, it's yellow. My auntie told me that's yellow. My grandmama told me that's yellow. He said, that ain't yellow, it's black. Where did you go? Where were you raised up? And how many of you know in about two months we have a church split? We have a church split because I think it's yellow and you think it's black. And the truth of the matter is, is that we don't have a renewed mind to know what it is. We just keep living out of what somebody told us and taught us rather than living out of what the Word of God said to us to know how to actually think and possess the kingdom. That's why when Jesus prayed for the man that was blind, you remember he prayed for him, he laid hands on him, and the Bible says that the man saw. Jesus said to him, what do you see? He said, I see men walking like trees. And the Bible says Jesus laid hands on him again. Now, come on, I heard that preached all my life. People say, well, you know, he, he almost got healed the first time, and Jesus had to pray the second time. Are you kidding me? We're talking about the man who created the world. He wasn't like he was like anointed, decaffeinated that day. He didn't really have full strength anointing and he had to pray again. He didn't pray again because he didn't get it done the first time. The Bible said the blind man saw. The blind man saw. He saw men walking like trees. He saw he didn't perceive. So the second time God touched him was so he could understand what he was looking at. 
See, I'm telling you, God has come to redemption to the nations. And he said, I've opened your eyes to see, but I'm coming to touch you now so you can understand who I've raised you up to be and why I put you in the earth and what I called you to be. I'm going to give you understanding. Somebody ought to shout with me. Because listen, we have, three, we have three enemies. Most of us only specialize in one. That's the devil. But the Bible says you have three. The devil, the world, and the flesh. And the enemy uses all three of them. See, the devil wants you to have religion without God. See, there are people thinking, well, no, the devil wants to make everybody atheist. No, if he made everybody atheist, he would be of no value. He doesn't want to make everybody atheist because then they wouldn't believe in him. He wants to make everybody believe they can somehow build a religious life without God and God's ways. So therefore, if I keep church rules... I'm a child of God. And we get people, we get national singers saying things like this. We're all children of God. Negatory. Negatory. We're all creations of God, but we're not all children of God. Jesus looked at some folks and said, you're of your father, the devil. You're a child of the devil. You're not a child of God. And the reason you're a child of the devil, he said, is because you mind the things of your father. Come on, somebody. What makes you a child of the devil is not that you smoke cigarettes, do drugs, or get drunk. What makes you a, a, a child of the devil is when you think according to the world's systems. So the devil wants you to have religion without God. The world wants you to have success without God. The world wants you to believe that you somehow can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That you made your own way. By God, I, I took it by, I took the bull by the horns and we made something happen. Do you realize your company that you have that's so wonderful, if God hadn't given you breath to breathe, you wouldn't have been able to build it. If he hadn't given you a mind that worked, you wouldn't have been able to put it all together. The truth of the matter is there is no success outside of God. If you ever see a turtle sitting on a fence post, no, he didn't get there by himself. Somebody helped him. And the flesh wants you to have pleasure without God. See, the flesh will tell you if you get involved with God, you can't have any pleasures in life. But God says, I got all kinds of pleasures for you. I just want me to, I, you to allow me to put the boundaries on your life so that your pleasures don't destroy you. They actually cause you to be full of joy. So Zechariah comes along and he's prophesying to these people and he gets a vision and when he gets a vision he sees an angel about to go out to this restored reformed city and the Bible says he's going out to measure it to measure it okay. Okay. Uh -huh. he's going out to measure it 
And he's about to measure the city. And he's about to measure the walls of the city. Where are they going to be? And as he's going out to measure, he measures the city. He measures everything in the city. He just looks at him and says, well, let me see. Yeah, he, yeah. He's going out to measure everything in the city. The Bible says there's another angel coming in. And the second angel says to him, put up your measuring rod. For the city's not to be measured. It's to be a city, watch this, without walls. Without walls. I've traveled in 80 nations of the world. And lots of nations of the world have walls and they have them for two reasons. I've stood in Buckingham Palace. I've stood in King's Palaces in Africa, Sweden. All of them have walls around them. I've stood in homes in certain parts of the world, in the Caribbean, where they put spikes and broken glass in the top of the walls. And it goes around every property. Walls do two things. Walls mark boundaries. I mean, you know, you don't build your fence three feet over on another man's property. Hmm? You build your fence on what? On your boundary line. Because you say, up to here I possess. From here I'm not responsible. So walls mark boundaries. Hold on, I'm going somewhere. I'm almost done. Second thing they do is they provide protection. And for everything you keep out, you also keep something locked in. That's why some of you have built walls in your life. You've built relational walls. Because you've been hurt so many times, you're saying, I'm not letting anybody get beyond right here. Right there. Nobody's coming beyond right here. And everything you're keeping out is keeping you locked in. So the angel comes along and says this. He says, I don't want you to measure the city, for it shall be, say it with me, a city without walls. Without walls. Somebody shout, without walls. The Holy Spirit said this to me. This house is about to be a city without walls. We, watch this, I'm almost done. We use measuring rods to determine what we can do or be. We use measuring rods like this. I'm black. I'm white. I'm brown. And we use the race measurement card to determine things like, that'll never happen for me. That don't happen for black men. That don't happen for poor white guys. 
that doesn't happen for Hispanic people because I've looked around and measured everybody I know and there's nobody I know that's from my neighborhood that's ever done anything like that. I, I looked up and down my street and nobody ever had a marriage that lasted for 50 years. I, I, there's nobody in my family. I went to my family reunion with my measuring rod and I measured that none of my uncles ever had a home they owned. None of my granddaddies ever owned a home. They've been renters their whole life. So whatever made me think I could become an owner of something, it's because you were using a measuring rod that God says to you, throw away your measuring rod because I'm about to make you a person of unlimited possibilities. Don't tell me what you can't be because of where you came from. Don't measure what I'm about to do in your life. You're going to be a person that has no boundary marks. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Sit down. See, we, we have ones like this. We have, we have, we have all kinds of them. I, got, I, got, I could go all day. We got education boundary sticks. Well, I didn't finish college. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get to finish my degree, so therefore I can't do that. I, I wish somebody would have told Bill Gates that. Or Steve Jobs. We got church people that go, well, you know what? Uh, this is Chattanooga. And, in, you know, in Ch if we were in Atlanta, this would be like 10,000 people. But in Chattanooga, you can't, you can't. No, I've measured it in Chattanooga. No, there's, this is the biggest building in Chattanooga probably for this kind of people. No, we, if we were in it, do you know what we could be if we were in L.A.? Can you imagine what this church could be if we were in Chicago? But we're in Chattanooga. We're in, we're in the deep south. And we're going down here with a bunch of people that are isolated and we just sort of measure the situation but I hear the Holy Ghost saying I'm walking into redemption to the nations and I'm about to take your little measuring rod I'm about to break up your measuring rod because you are going to be a people who live without measurements We measure people. No, he can't do it. No, I know. I know too much about his past. He's a, he's a 15 incher. He's not. He's not a 36 incher. And then we measure other people. No, they're divorced. And I measure divorced people. Divorced people could never really accomplish. They, they, they're, they're, bro they're the bird with the broken wing. They could never fly as high again. And then we measure other people and say, No, no. They used to live in addiction. They're people of addiction. You can't ever trust a drug addict because you don't ever know whether he's telling you the truth or not but I got news for you when the blood of Jesus flows across somebody's life I'm not, I am not an alcoholic I may used to be but I'm not one now I may have been a drug addict but I'm not one now I refuse to live by somebody else's name I refuse to be measured by some habit that used to control my life I am breaking my I dare you to act like your measuring rod's about to be broken all over this building.
This is for somebody here. You've been measuring your life by your bank account. It's a four-incher. If you're making decisions about your future, by what's in your checking account, you've used the wrong measuring rod. Am I talking to anybody in this room? God, for 20 years, didn't let me own a home. That was just the instruction of the Lord to me. I took everything I had and gave it away to the world. I gave cars away. The first home I bought, I bought it from my wife and my kids, and the Lord told me to give it away and sow it as a seed. I said, God, I'm a preacher. I'm traveling the nations all over the world, giving everything I got away, raising three daughters. And people began to tell me, Tony, you know, you ain't going to own anything. You ain't never going to have anything. And I said, I believe my measuring rod is about to be put up because I'm not measuring by a rod. I'm measuring by a seed. And I put my seed in the ground. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, a home came into my hands. And then the largest house in our city came in my hands. And then a man walked in my house and said, because of what you did for my family, you'll never pay a payment on this house a day in your life. And I lived in that home for six years and never paid a payment. And I bought it outright. I moved to Oklahoma and a guy came up and said, I'm going to knock half price off this house to give it to you. Why? Because God doesn't use your measuring rod. He uses his Ability. My God shall supply all of my need according. I'll take 15 seconds and thank him. You are people of unlimited. I had a guy roll up in my church two years ago and he said to me he said Bishop I love your preaching I love you you feed my life that's what he said but I don't like big churches I don't like being in a church I don't know everybody I want to go to church I know everybody I said, man, God's talking to you. He said, yeah, but I think my wife and I can't stay here because, you know, I don't know everybody. In fact, I don't even know the people sitting on my row today. I don't even know their name. And I'm used to knowing where everybody lives and who the kids are. And we go to Dairy Queen together. And I'm used to having a pastor that's my fishing buddy. And. We go fish together. You know, I can't have an apostle that's being called to the nations of the world and people everywhere want him. I can't. I love you, Bishop, but I just don't like big churches. I said to him, I said, I'll tell you what, can you come next week? He said, yeah, I'll come back. I said, right, you meet me in the parking lot. And we'll stand there. And every car that pulls in, the ones that you think should go to hell, we'll tell them just keep going. 
because we don't want a big church. We got enough saved people right now at the gate. I said, I just hope it's not your grandson that's struggling with drugs that comes walking in because if it's your grandson that comes driving up and you decide we ain't got no more room, I don't like big churches. I said, I think what you ought to do, you better tear up your measuring rod and determine I don't care if 100,000 people come to church in Chattanooga. I don't have to know everybody. I know the one who sits on the throne, whose name is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue Put up your measuring rod. Sit down, sit down, I'm done, I'm done. I'm done. Somebody come help me. Some worship team come. Just sit down for a minute. Just sit down for a minute. Listen. I know I've gone over time, but stay with me. Listen. He said, this house. It's a house of unlimited possibilities. Not one campus, not two, not three, not one church plant. Multiple ones. Multiple ones. This room ain't going to contain the people. This might be big for right now, but this room isn't going to contain the people that are coming out of captivity. I see the day coming when hundreds, not just 10 or 20, hundreds of people free from addiction are going to walk across this stage on a Sunday morning and say, God has delivered me. Thank God for RTTM. I see marriages are on the rocks headed to a divorce court and God's going to put families back together. God's about to redeem teenagers. There's, I'm going to prophesy this. There is a youth revival coming out of RTTN that is going to shift college campuses. I declare the day will come when you will send pastors to multiple college campuses and it will be like the days of old when young men and young women would feel and sense the call of God. This house is the mother flame for a youth revival that will shake a generation. A city without walls. The day will come, there will be 15-year-olds standing on this platform giving the word of the Lord. There are going to be 22-year-olds that will prophesy, work miracles, lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. Because this is going to be a city without walls. Here's what he said. You build walls to mark your boundaries and to protect yourself. And he answered that question in the next verse. He says, there's going to be no walls because I will be fire about you. 
and I will be the glory in the midst of you. I will be the wall of fire about you. Your adversaries are going to have to go through him to get to you. The pressure that you two have felt is not a devil. The pressure you felt is a birth canal. It squeezed you into a bigger room, into a bigger place. It's squeezing you out of a womb that has allowed you to incubate. But the Lord says the times have changed. Now the season is changing. Now the season is changing. And everybody that touches you touches me. For whoever touches you has touched the apple of my eye. You won't have to defend yourself or answer your critics. God says, whoever touches you, touches me. And when your enemies raise up, I'll shake my hand at them. That same mighty hand that opened the Red Sea, I'll just shake my hand at Chattanooga. And everything will get in alignment. And you'll go through to what I promised. Everybody get on your feet everywhere. Throw both hands in the air. I want to fill this room with prayer. The next three minutes. Come on, open your mouth. If you're ready for God to make you a person without walls, for your life to get enlarged in ways you've never been enlarged. out in the aisles I want to do something prophetic sometimes you got to do something prophetic if you're ready for some boundary mark to be broke off your life and you say I've been bound up somebody's been trying to hold me behind lines come grab one of these sticks and just break it for yourself and say I'm breaking up today the walls around me are breaking off today come on just find something even if you can't get a piece of it just break it I am coming out from behind my wall I'm not living about to elevate this house I said God is about to elevate this house you got to take your measuring rod off of the angels of this house as well God is about to use Kevin and Devin Wallace to shake churches and cities and nations they are your apostle but God's going to use them to ignite fires all over the world 
you got to put up your measuring rod and quit demanding that they be certain things that fit your criteria. For God says, I'm going to cause this house to be a city without walls. There are businessmen and businesswomen here. God's about to enlarge your borders. You didn't even know why you had your business. It's for the kingdom. It's bigger than you think it is. It's bigger than you think it is. Come on, come on, two more minutes. Just help me. If you pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in the Holy Ghost, would you? There are people today that are breaking boundaries off their life. Your past does not contain you. I said your past does not contain you. There are families in here. The enemy's tried to make you believe that you're going to carry on generational curses. I declare today the boundaries are broke. The curses are broke. You'll not live behind those legacies any longer. God's bringing us out of confusion. I'm prophesying this house in the next two years, there'll be 5,000 people that'll gather here. There are churches in the birth canal. declare what I see. I, I see hundreds of college kids on this campus who are coming here to learn ministry. They're not just coming to learn theology, they're coming to learn ministry because the DNA of this house is going to get inside of them and everywhere they go they're going to be fire starters. this Pastor Devin's praying middle of the night the Holy Spirit woke me up he said Devin there's an anointing on your life I wrote it down I was so moved by it he said the gifts of healings and the working of miracles are manifesting through your life I hear the Lord saying you will host a school of healing a school of healing and there'll even be terminal ill people that'll be brought in on stretchers and set in the room while you teach and he'll send his word and it'll bring healing to them. There's testimonies of terminally ill people that are gonna be delivered and set free. There'll be times during the year that there'll be schools of healing, working of miracles that'll happen in this place. Pastor Kevin, I hear the Lord saying, he's gonna magnify your voice. 
God's put an amplification system on your voice. There were walls that used to hold your voice out. There were walls of predisposed opinions and ideas. Some people judged you without knowing you. And they wouldn't let your voice get through the wall. But I hear the Lord saying the walls are no longer there. I'm amplifying your voice. In places that you've not had entrance, the Lord says, I'm going to give you entrance. I'm turning the season because the times have changed. I hear the Holy Ghost saying, I'm taking a coal off the altar and I'm touching your lips afresh and anew. Today, do it, Holy Ghost. Do it, Holy Ghost. Somebody keep recording this because the coals off the altar are the coals that come from the finished work. Ha! You're going to go and announce what's finished. You're going to announce what's finished, what's already completed. And I heard the Lord say, you will liberate it unfulfilled, dull, oppressed, bored Christians into the destiny they were called to. Oh! I'm announcing to this house, you were born in the womb of the morning. You were born at daybreak. God says to this house, darkness has to surrender because this house is rising like a morning sun. And everywhere RTTN rises, darkness will begin to flee. Captivity and oppression will be far from you for you shall break forth in righteousness and you shall declare the goodness of the Lord. I am prophesying and declaring to you and to your house and to your family, it is the daybreak, it is the dawning of a new day in your life. I wish somebody would thank him like you believe your new day. saying to you that there has been doors that have been slammed and you couldn't get through them you kept asking the Lord to open the door and everybody slammed the door I hear the Lord saying I'm opening the door for you nobody can close and you must not be impatient believing that their slammed door was my report for the Lord said I kept you from going through the wrong door so now I can take you through the right door and I don't know what this means, but I hear the Lord saying ownership is involved. 
ownership is involved. It's time for you to be an owner. It's time for you to be an owner. Ha! I hear the Holy Ghost saying to you, sir, Isaiah 54, the barren woman is about to sing. Some things that look like you've been, I don't know if it's ever going to come to pass. I don't know what it is. It might be investments. It could be things you put your hands to and you just said, is it ever going to come to fruition? I hear the Holy Spirit saying the barren season is about to sing. You're going to break out to the right, break out to the left. I hear the Lord saying to you, strengthen your pegs and lengthen your cords because God's about to enlarge the place of your tent. It's bigger than you think it is. Boom! I touch you in Jesus' name. The power of God. Hey! I hear the Holy Ghost saying, this house is going to be a house of testimonies. Trophies of grace are coming out of this house. I said trophies of grace are coming out of this house. Non-religious people will feel comfortable here because everybody in this room will know it was not, I didn't do this myself. Had it not been for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. If you were raised in a Christian home, listen to me. You don't inherit your faith. You have to choose it. There are people in this room today, God's calling you. It's time for you to make a choice. It's time for you to make a choice today that you're going to let God be in you who he desires to be. All over this room, that song they sang, all my life you have been faithful. I preached in London the last weekend of August at the largest conference in the UK. 15,000 plus people a night. I got on a plane in London, flew directly to San Francisco for a 50 year anniversary of a church. Got my rental car in San Francisco and was driving to the church and stopped in Stockton for my wife to go to Dillard's for a minute. I went in to use the restroom and in 10 minutes, somebody broke the back window of my car, took my briefcase. In my briefcase was my computer, my journal. I had prepared four months of teachings for next month, next year. But I had a Bible in it that I'd used since I started our church. And I give my Bibles away to my children. I've had three Bibles in 41 years of ministry until this one. Every new season of my life, I got a new Bible. And two Christmases ago, I went to my, my office and I got out all three of my Bibles with the notepads, my notations, sermons written in them. And I took parchment paper and I wrote the journey of that Bible. And I gave all three of my Bibles to three of my girls. I said, every season of my life, God's moved me into a new phase that's enlarged our world. You've been a part of this journey. This is your legacy. I want you to have this to know where God brought us from to where we are. And the Bible that my grandson's got a call of God in his life, the Bible I was preparing for my grandson when he turned 18, he's 15. 
I was going to give to my grandson because I used it when I started the game. That's what broke my heart. But I'd also just gotten somebody in England gave us. I'm building a project in Africa. I just built a training center for we're we're planting 40 churches every nine months in the Islamic areas of North Africa where Islam is pushing south. I've had 385,000 pastors graduate from our training schools all over the world. But this has been the, the project because Africa's got the most resource of any continent on the earth. And somebody had given me a fifteen or $20,000 cash donation. It was in my briefcase. They got that briefcase. I was ticked. I'd like to tell you I sanctified, but I wasn't. And California is so bad right now, the police wouldn't even come. It's, it's incredible what's going on there. I got in the car, I rode to our hotel. I didn't even have a Bible to preach that night. I was going to have to use the Gideon Bible. And I walked into my hotel room with my wife, and she said, Are you okay? I said, I'll be fine. I had, to, I had service that night. I said, I'll be fine. I had put my small travel case down on my bed, and the Holy Spirit said to me, tell me when I've never been faithful to you. I realize $15,000 or $20,000 is not a lot of money, but it's a lot of money if you're raising it for projects. He said, when have I never been faithful to you? And this song went off in my head. All of my life, you have been faithful. See, here's what I had to learn. I didn't learn it until I got later in life. I kept running from God because I thought when God was chasing me, he was chasing me to correct me. I had to learn that what he was chasing me with was his goodness. He's not chasing me to get me. He's chasing me to give to me what I can't give myself. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And so I quit running so goodness could catch up with me. I'm talking to somebody in the room today. You've been running and you've been building your own walls and that's why goodness can't catch you. If you'll quit running today and let God tear those walls down you've built, he's going to surround you with a wall of fire and put glory in the midst of your life and you're going to become the person he intended for you to be. I'm done and I want to, I want to honor your, your time today. I've got a plane to get you. But here's what I want to do. If you're in this room today and you say, Bishop, that's me. I've been building my own walls. And I've been running. But I'm ready for goodness to overshadow my life. You may have had some bad days. But David said in Psalms 45, the theme of my life is God's been good. God's been good. When I get to three, if that's you, if you say, I built some of those walls. I want them to come down today. I'm ready to put up my measuring rod and tear down my walls. I want to pray for you before I hand this mic back. When I get to three, lift your hand high. One, 
two, three, wherever you're at, hold them up all over this building. It doesn't matter what it is. When I pray, you call it by name, and God's going to hear you in the name of Jesus. Father, all over this room this morning, hands have gone up everywhere. And as they have their hands raised, I pray now in the name of Jesus that by the power of your blood and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will crush every wall we've built that has resisted your goodness, resisted your outpouring, resisted your blessing. And I pray now in the name of Jesus that you will release Holy Ghost power and Holy Ghost glory and that you will build a wall of fire about them. And I pray in the name of Jesus that goodness will chase you down. Today, you'll sense goodness on your heels. And everywhere you go, the goodness of God is going to find you because God's goodness is coming after you. In the name of Jesus. Come on, if you agree, somebody shout amen. Put up your measuring rod. I love this house, and I'm so glad I get to be a part. God bless you, Pastor. Come on, let's tell Bishop how thankful we are for this word today. Come on, give God praise for this word today. My God. Listen, listen, before we leave, before we leave, before we leave, real quick, I want everyone to get an offering in their hand to give. I want to bless this man of God. He is doing the work of ministry all over the planet. Some of you are able to give online. Some of you are going to give by text. Some of you are going to need to bring a check or your offering to the altar. I want to open the altar after I pray. Everyone that can, I want you to bless this man of God today. The work his hands are on in the earth is significant. He is not just a bishop. He is an apostolic father. How many felt that while he was preaching today? And I thank God for the gift that he is to the body and for the willing gift that he is to this house. Let's all give generously. I want him to go back. I know what it is to miss a church service on a Sunday as a, as a lead pastor. We don't do that very much, and he doesn't do it. I want him to leave blessed. How many want him to leave blessed? Say amen. Father, I thank you for the gift they're going to give now. I pray it would be significant in the seed that they sow. It's the harvest that they long for. And I pray they will have the faith to add to the gift so that the harvest they desire to see will come to pass in their life. And Lord, we bless Bishop now. Everything his hands are on, we ask for the increase of heaven to kiss it now. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Come on, let's give. And after we give, we love you. We'll see you Wednesday night. Go in the peace of the Lord. May the Lord.